the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 128, April 1976. In 1943, a novel, bitterly fought against by Western pro-communists, saw the crisis of civilization in the fact that its first faith, Christianity, was virtually gone, and the second, free thought or humanism, was also fading. Nothing exists that can fill the chasm, there is no third faith, wrote Mark Aldenoff in the fifth seal. His character, Vermandoy, observed, Humanity is marching toward a dumping ground. Men could resign themselves to it or choose a fairy tale pleasing to themselves and use it to proclaim that the dumping ground is in reality a crystal palace. In any case, the future meant the dumping ground. Now, a dumping ground, like every trash pile, has a characteristic feature. Nothing has any relationship to anything around it. Things are simply dumped there, whether worthless or still usable, without any rule or any meaningful relationship to things next to them. Philosophically speaking, we can say that every dumping ground or trash pile gives us an excellent example of existentialism. Nothing derives meaning or significance from anything around it. There are no rules governing relationships or imposing an order. There is no philosophy governing all the facts in the dump. Each piece of junk must develop its own philosophy of existence or else have none. A plain-spoken expression of this philosophy came to light in 1975 through a follower of Charles Manson, Lynette Squeaky Fromm, the 27-year-old girl who tried to assassinate President Ford, declared to her captors, If you have no philosophy, you don't have any rules. By philosophy, Lynette Fromm meant a faith which prescribes rules binding on all people, a universal morality and law. Existentialism is a philosophy which denies this emphatically, and existentialism, whether held formally or informally, is the refining faith of the 20th century. In Defiance, a Radical Review, number 1, 1970, one of the key declarations was simply this. Good news. Two and two no longer make four. The revolution, one writer held, had already occurred. He was right, of course. The principles of relativism, of existentialism, in example, the philosophies of the dumping ground, have triumphed. When I cite the Defiance gospel to some, they are shocked. Two and two do make four, they insist. 
However, when pressed about God's law, it is clear that they are existentialist about everything except a few practical items like arithmetic. Most 20th century men are to some degree existentialist. They object only when younger existentialists go a little further than they themselves are prepared to go. The dumping ground future predicted by Aldenhoff's Vermandoy is increasingly apparent to more and more intellectuals and youths. Their answer is to look for that third faith. Hence, the deep interest in oriental religions, primitive faiths, magic, witchcraft, occultism, and much else. On all fronts, the religious interest is intense, but it is futile. All the new third faiths are simply variations on a common theme, humanism. I know very casually one such seeker, a brilliant and attractive woman, who regularly finds the great answer in some new form of this old faith, and then before finding another, is suicidally pessimistic. For her, the one alternative never to be considered in her quest is biblical faith. Not surprisingly, each new collapse drives her closer to suicide, to her own dumping ground. Now more than once, civilization has turned itself into a dump heap by its adoption of some form of moral relativism, although never so drastically as in the 20th century. There is a common consequence to every such event in history. Our Lord expressed it thus, For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Matthew 24:28. When civilization turns itself into a garbage dump, there the vultures will gather, and then too the vulture nations have an opportunity to gain ascendancy. Certainly in our time men seem determined to turn history into a dumping ground, and the vultures are not lacking on the scene. The second faith, humanism, is morally bankrupt. Existentialism is simply its logical conclusion. There is no third faith, and there is too little left of the first faith to be a factor in the minds of vultures. The churches have virtually all succumbed to the influences of the second faith, humanism. But the first faith, Christianity, alone offers hope. Humanism has failed because it has been applied and developed. Christianity has not failed, rather it has been abandoned for humanism disguised sometimes as Christianity. If the dumping ground and the vultures, both products of humanism, are to be avoided, it will only be in terms of biblical faith. Existentialism can only destroy and negate. It must deny all meanings and relationships in order to affirm the autonomy and the ultimacy of humanistic man. Dotson Rader writing also in Defiance, stated it clearly, To destroy all limits is, in a perverse sense, to be truly free. To destroy is to feel free. Reconstruction is only possible on radically alien terms, terms which make basic not man's feelings or experience, but God's atonement and God's law. Churchmen who deny the validity of God's law are humanists. They make man's feelings and experience basic to the faith rather than Christ's work and man's required response of faith and obedience. The only way that the vultures can be exercised from civilization is by the road away from the dumping ground, from humanism or existentialism to a full-orbed and militant biblical faith. Existentialist man can never be dominion man on his own terms. He has no world except himself 
no meaning except his will, and no arena of operation except a vacuum. The will of existentialist man is to be God, but even Sartre, the foremost existentialist, saw this goal and man himself as a futile passion. Godly reconstruction by dominion man has as its instrument biblical law, God's plan of conquest. It provides for the reordering of every area of life in terms of God's sovereign word and purpose and for the establishment of man as king, priest, and prophet in Christ over the earth. Man has a choice to be a pretended God and sovereign on a dump heap surrounded by waiting vultures or a dominion man in Christ over the earth. In either case, there is only one sovereign God. That can never change. It is man who must. Calcedon Report, number 129, May 1976. It amazes me as I travel how many people who are Christians will attack the idea of Leah's fair as though it represents some pagan abomination. Not only that, but they mistakenly assume that modern corporate structures are dedicated to Leah's fear, when in fact, with a very few exceptions, most are intensely hostile to it. What is involved in the doctrine of Leah's fear, the idea of the built-in laws which ensure that freedom will produce the best results? What lies behind the invisible hand doctrine? Leah's fear is a secularized form of the biblical doctrine of providence. The Bible makes clear that God is sovereign Lord and Creator, and that His law and predestinating counsel absolutely govern all things, so that all creation moves, not in terms of chance or chaos, but in terms of God's master plan. Faith in this plan and purpose means that it is not man's plan, but God's which must govern reality. The consequences of such a faith, as developed by such a medieval thinker as Bishop Oresme, were the theoretical foundations of classical economics. Modern man, however, wanted the consequences of God's being and government, but not God himself. As a result, the modern era shifted the emphasis from biblical law to natural law, and from providence to Leah's fear. In writing about Leah's fear, 18th century thinkers were in essence reformulating the doctrine of providence to gain the full effect of God without acknowledging God openly. Their adoption of this doctrine of providence and their emphasis on it made for a tremendous input of social energy and vitality as men proceeded to act in the economic realm and elsewhere in the assurance of an invisible hand which provided a total and absolutely providential government. However, secular their interest, their work was a major theological development in Western thought. Its ties to the Reformation doctrine of God's sovereignty and decree were very strong, however humanistic the framework of their concern. Leos Fier gave men a freedom from church and state and from the law of institutions in the name of a higher law. It thus developed to an unprecedented degree the implications of the doctrine of creation. The church had too often sought to act as the visible hand of God in a presumptuous manner, and the state had surpassed the church in playing the role of manifest providence. Leah's fear placed the institutions in the background 
and gave the ultimate and active workings of providence priority. The social implications of this were far-reaching and the growth created thereby dramatic in its historical consequences. Leos Fier, however, collapsed because of its humanistic framework. The logic of humanism continued to develop the implications of its separation from the doctrine of God. This meant that the doctrine of creation had to be dropped. Hegel developed the concept of social evolution, and Darwin applied it to biology and the sciences. With Darwin's acceptance, Leas Fier became an obsolete doctrine. The world of Darwin is a world of chance, a world of meaningless and brute factuality in which whatever develops does so accidentally rather than in terms of a cosmic plan. Social Darwinism could mean a ruthless economic individualism, not Leos Fier, as in Andrew Carnegie, but there is no law beyond man to govern him. It can lead to economic interventionism and socialism, as in the Rockefellers and others, but again it is a human decision, not an aspect of a cosmic plan. In a meaningless universe there is no invisible hand, and Leos Fier means a senseless chaos. The implications of Darwinism were quickly grasped. Men like John Stuart Mill moved from Leos Fier into socialism because no doctrine of providence was possible in a Darwinian worldview. But man cannot live without a doctrine of providence. The idea of predestination is an intellectual necessity because the alternative is a world of total chance and meaninglessness. The doctrine of Leos Fier had shifted the government and decree from God to nature while tacitly retaining all the forms of the theological formulation of the doctrine. With Darwin, a further transfer took place. Now the state, or with libertarians, anarchistic man, became the source of providence and predestination. The result has been the rise of socialism and economic interventionism. Social planning and control mean that the state now issues the decree of predestination. The providential government of all things has become a function of the state, and churchmen solemnly approve of this blasphemy and condemn the mild departures which Leos Fier represented. Not surprisingly, we are in the midst of a major theological decline and collapse, because the heart of the doctrine of God has been transferred to the state. Sovereignty and control now belong to an institution of man, and scientific socialism logically calls for the total control of man. This includes not only economic control, but genetic control and engineering. Even as Scripture, because of the fall, calls for the recreation of man in Jesus Christ, so too the modern sovereign, the state, calls for the remaking of man by scientific engineering. Man must be changed from God's creation into the state's creation, and this change is necessary in order to establish the state's sovereignty, so that we can expect more and more emphasis on the remaking of man by science and the state. Despite its serious defects, Leos Fier had, as its great virtue, the fact that it did concentrate on the doctrine of providence. Its failure was that it could not maintain the doctrine of providence without the sovereign and absolute God. On the other hand, the church has not been able to defend its doctrine of God when it has abandoned implicitly the doctrine of providence. 
As a result, the church condemns itself to impotence. It clings formally to doctrines it castrates, in fact. It affirms predestination by God and bows down to predestination by Caesar, by the state. Where are the theologians who are discussing the implications of the doctrines of creation and providence in terms of the realities of everyday life, in terms of economics, politics, and all things else? The answer is that, outside of Chalcedon, they're almost non-existent. Is it any wonder that we are in trouble? Can we affirm providence without far-reaching personal, social, economic, and political consequences? Can we believe in the God of Scripture without such consequences? The consequences of our day are those of humanism in church and state, in economics, politics, education, and theology. Until we begin to think theologically, the consequences will not change. Are you with us? Thank you for joining me this week in reading the Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love of patience by His pain the very price. It was there on Calvary's tree where He died for you and me.
Constructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.